And welcome back to another impactful night of the Impact Education Leadership. This is the season finale. This is episode 110. I'm your host, ID3. Why is on the third? Tonight's panelists are Buddy Thornton, Pastor Cedric White, Chief Smith, and Dr. Argulis A. Ortiz. Dr. Argulis A. Ortiz, please shout hello to the people. Hello, everybody. Thank you for having us on. Absolutely. And Buddy Thornton, the positive social change agent pro, please shout hello to the people. Good evening, everybody, and uh, welcome to all my panel mates. It's a thrill to be here. It is a thrill. And Chief Smith, please say hello to the people. Hello, hello, everyone. It's a pleasure to be speaking with you all tonight, and greetings to the panel as well. And the Honorable Pastor Cedric White, please say hello to the people. Well, good evening, everyone, and it is wonderful to be here. I'm so thankful to be here and looking forward to what comes out of our discussion tonight. Thank you. Thank you. Well, today's well, tonight's word is paradigm shift. But the topic is self-awareness affects social mobility. Self-awareness affects social mobility. Social mobility is the movement of individuals, families, or groups through a social hierarchy or stratification system, which can affect a person's psychologically, education, occupation, and income are considered to be the leading indicators of social mobility. In modern societies, social mobility is typically measured by career and generational changes in the social economic levels of occupations. George Herbert Mead, founder of symbolic interactionisms, suggested that individuals construct the meaning and purpose of their world to allow them to understand it in doing so they attach importance to objects and symbols that help them make sense of their world or their world view these objects or symbols suggest the perception of understanding and regulation of emotional intelligence that will either increase or decrease a child's happiness. Studies revealed a need for universal intervention techniques like the ones we're going to be discussing tonight that can be implemented in our schools, in our communities, even in our family settings. Why? I'll tell you why. So that we can seek new ways to avoid conflicts internally and externally with peers, but at the same time promote self-awareness that is necessary, that is vital, important, crucial for us to understand and to navigate social mobility. First, I want to pull from 
but he's doing the positive social change in control. But how are we doing again? I know you got a lot going on out there in Arizona. Kind of let us know a little bit about what you got going on currently, sir. Well, Isaiah, right now we're working on our second book. Uh, the m- most important thrust that we have is uh, obviously getting ready for the school year and getting people ready to engage socially as COVID traverses again through our population. We're asking and answering a lot of questions about what we can and what we cannot do. And in my case, dealing with exactly what you were talking about, uh, fielding a lot of questions about how do we deflect and how do we avoid conflict, especially how do we navigate and not allow the conflict that seems to be on a very, very broad scale kind of invade our private space. How do we avoid that and how do we hunker down and and filter through all the stuff that's coming through us. So that's what I've been working on, and that's what I'm going to share tonight. Absolutely. Thank you for that. You know, we got some very special uh, panelists here tonight. I I want to pull from uh, Chief Smith, and and I want uh, Chief to kind of tell us a little bit about the organization that she works for um, and kind of give us an idea why is an organization like Killing Nine Hearts are so necessary, so necessary uh, at a time like this. Uh, we're in the middle of a pandemic, right? And so those um, emotional and social needs uh, of our students, of our family members, of our communities are so, so important and so vital. And I kind of want you to just tell us lines about what you do for your organization. Awesome. Thank you again. Um, I'm Chief Smith, and I'm the Wellness Care Coach with Healing Thine Hearts. And just a quick, brief um, bio about Healing Thine Hearts. We've been in operation for over 20 years, and we have absolutely um, established ourselves helping our communities, um, helping other organizations. We thrive on partnerships with other organizations to meet the need of families, to meet the needs of um, first responders to meet the needs of veteran communities. Um, and so with that, we have found that it is very vital in this time that our three levels that we focus on is care, coaching, and counseling. And during this pandemic time, we have seen such an influx of families, of teens even, um, even younger than teens who have had a very difficult and challenging time navigating through such life event. And so with it being going into the school year, we have found that a lot of families are absolutely coming and seeking services through Healing Thine Heart to understand more of how they can navigate through life and yet continue to stay a unified front, um, meaning family, and as well as knowing how to support one another, i.e. support the children, support the spouse, support um, any other family member that may be relevant in the home in order to have um, a successful school year and also successful life improvement moving forward. Wow, wow, wow. And you were speaking about your organization in my heart. You know, several words came to my mind. And one is, you know, your organization leaves a positive effect in the community, different settings, right? And, and that's so useful. So it's also a useful effect uh, that is so vital, especially now. And 
with that being said, uh, Healing Our Hearts is, is a life-changing uh, ministry, right? And it leaves impact. Uh, it gives guidance, I would say, uh, because of the leadership there uh, and the focus there, um, I, I believe that Healing Our Hearts is going to be uh, the, a way of life uh, in the future. Uh, thank you so much, uh, Ms. Smith. For that, and uh, let me let me pull uh, from uh, Doctor Ortiz. But before I do, uh, uh, Chief, but thank you so much for adding so much value to this podcast, uh, Doctor Argelis A. Ortiz. So 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 glad. I'm so glad. I'm just so excited to have you back on the podcast. That you will come back. Please tell us a little bit about what you got going on. I know you're doing a lot. You got your hands on a lot of things. But please share with us what you got going on, sir. Oh, thank you. Thank you again for, for the invite. Um, so, so we're a uh, consulting firm here, here in the Los Angeles area. But we, because of virtual, we kind of travel or kind of work anywhere, right? But uh, our website is www.silegra.org. And we focus primarily on social service or nonprofit agencies that have leaders of color and then have people that they want to move up to uh, the next level, meaning um, they, they're in startup mode, but they want to really get, get cemented into the community. They, they've been in the community for 20 years, but they want to now go gain grants from the federal level, uh, state level. So we support them and kind of guide them through how to do that. So our, our three main pillars are... Um, coaching, uh, consulting, and training. And then we do that too, specifically for the organizations or individuals that are looking to, you know, move up in their, in their career, but also in their organization. And, uh, you know, lately, just like my, my fellow panelists have said, it's, it's been focused on kind of the quote-unquote reopening of, of businesses, of, of schools, of, of nonprofits, and how to get back to work safely is um, what we've been supporting people with lately. Absolutely. You know, when I invite you on, the first thing I was thinking was you are a man of not only principles, but you are a man for the moment. You're a man for the moment because you seize opportunities and possibilities. Right. And for me, this is a favorable combination for the topic tonight. Uh, coming from a um, psychological perspective, right, we're talking about social, economically uh, disadvantaged or, or challenged uh, communities and those people living in those communities. As an educational consultant, okay, let us kind of walk with you uh, tonight as you paint a picture to us so that we can see the ins and outs as you describe how being a black or a brown individual could affect social mobility within different school cultures and visions. How, what is a way that you can unpack, that you could describe how being uh, a minority could, could affect your uh, I guess influence I, I guess your disposition your uh, I wouldn't say abilities but I would say potentials as it relates to social mobility uh, within those different school settings 
That's that's my question, sir. No, great, great question. And, and I was doing a little bit of a check-in and, and some of the clients that we've had recently. And, and I have two kind of main thoughts. And one of it is um, there's a big gap for us that, that are kind of people of color, leaders of color in, in diverse representation, right? There's maybe a, a single person who is in our field who is the head of the biggest YMCA or the biggest the person who is uh, the head of a charter system, but there isn't too many of other diverse representations, right? If, if I'm not the principal per se, or if I'm not the counselor, is there my equivalent in the IT field? Is there my equivalent in the uh, psychology realm? Is there my equivalent in uh, the sports realm, right? And, and it's those gaps that are missing um, for us to see that there is, a, there is a way in, that there is a sort of uh, path that was paved before. So I think that that's the biggest one. There's a, there's a, a leadership gap, but also represent, representative leadership gap that's missing out there for, for people of color in particular. Um, there's also this, this sort of, and I think it's like an internal cultural wrestling that we have with each other. Is a, a security versus innovation, right? We want to have, we want to often go for the secure um, job. We want to go for the secure career. We want to go for the secure paved path before. And most of us tend to not go on the innovative route or to go on the extreme side because it hasn't been done before. Or is that really going to make me money? Uh, is that a job? Uh, we tend to have these kind of self-doubts or even familial or, or peer pressure of, of, I think you go the wrong way, stick to the core careers, right? The, the teacher, lawyer, principal, and police officer, right? And, and stick to those careers because those have been proven uh, recession-proof, et cetera. But now we see even those careers are up for grabs, right? Now there's careers around uh, technology, careers around cybersecurity, careers around, man, data mining. There's, there's a lot of things that none of us ourselves and or our parents knew that it ever existed, and I think they're just going to keep coming. So there's also this sort of, uh, my suggestion is encouraging people, especially our young people, especially our people who are, just starting to be in the workforce to innovate, to try things, to have side hustles, like a lot of us who end up doing two or three things on the side, and then, you know, the, the, the egg bath rotates a little bit. But um, it, it is that challenge of, of it hasn't been done before. I don't know anybody who's done being a consultant. I don't know anybody who's been uh, um, in this field before. How do I, how do I move forward? So it, it ties back to back with the representation, but also with our own culture being okay with us to try something outside of the norm with the risk that it might pay off big or it might fall flat, but you get to get back up again and try a whole new thing. Those are, those are my, my two biggest things with uh, social mobility, and particularly with the kinds of black and brown uh, youth and, and people and professional. Wow, that was amazing. That, you know, I heard... I heard disposition, I heard the word disposition, and in disposition, I would say I heard a type of temperament, because the reason why I say temperament, bear with me real quick, the reason why I say temperament is because it seems like, or seemingly, it is like the upper class are scared of the lower class, and this fear is, a, is I think it's a, a, it's a fear about shifting, uh, the, the paradigm shifting of incomes where like the middle class 
is maybe, you know, scared of the lower class coming to their position, vice versa. And then once the um, lower class gets to the middle class, they're more motivated to, to keep going and to reach the upper class. And so in this dynamic, there's so much friction, but we have to keep this. It has to be there, especially because this society is capitalist. So we live in a capitalist society. So even though it kind of seems unfair, it's something that is naturally supposed to happen in a competitive marketplace. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. So yeah, so it does. Those, those, some, some of it is self-promotion. Listen, sorry, Isaiah, but some of it is self-imposed, right? Some of it is, is, you know, we think we gotta be first, be fastest, be quicker, be the most innovative idea, and and that's great, that's needed, but that's not always the case for everything, right? You, you could have a person of color who does fixes something really great for a particular problem, particular niche, or a school system, but it doesn't always have to replicate to the world, and I think that's where we get stuck. Either we go big or go home. No, but sometimes you can do something really well and fix a particular problem really done uh, and, and help a lot of good people. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But we have to steer away from the caste system, like you were saying. We've got to steer away from that medieval era, right, where we had, you know, nobilities, we had the peasants. And, you know, I can I can literally see Buddy throwing the pot of social change agent pro at the edge of his seat right now, and he's jumping up and down. Let me go to him. Dr. Ortiz, thank you so much for adding so much value to this podcast. Uh, will you come back and discuss this more in the next season, in season five? Oh, yes, of course, anytime. Okay, okay. Buddy Thornton, the Positive Social Change Agent Pro, what are your thoughts <laughs> about what we just said on, on this podcast so far? Well, first, I would like to address what Dr. Ortiz said, because what he said was an excellent door opener. Number one, he is absolutely correct. Most of the time, especially when I'm dealing with people in the minority sector, they are looking for a breakthrough. They're looking for disruptive innovation. And what they don't understand is that there is so much power in a different affect. They need to look at how important it is to get to a diffusion over time. If they become ubiquitous within a field, if they become saturated in a field because they just come into being, it's not about being spectacular. It's about being competent and being comfortable being competent. You have to remove the stigma of failure and you cannot be afraid of failure to succeed. I was a professional athlete for 27 years, and in doing that, I knew that nine times out of 10, actually 99 out of 100 times, I was never going to win, but that one time that I won was worth the 99 losses. So you have to be willing to fail to ever succeed. And Dr. Ortiz was absolutely, he hit the nail right on the head when he said that. You, you cannot wait 
for the spectacular moment in time because that spectacular moment may never arise. It may never come in your lifetime. But there's no reason why you can't take the next step forward and build a diffusion effect and bring everybody from your group with you. There's no reason why equity and equality can't be built as a crowd. It doesn't mean one person being spectacular. It means everybody being competent and being proud of being competent. Oh my goodness. That was beautiful. That was beautiful. You know, for those who's listening there right now, we're talking about uh, social mobility, but right now we're honing in on, we're focusing in on uh, upward social mobility and I would say political orientation. Uh, Buddy Thornton, please don't go anywhere. Pastor Cedric White, please say hello again to the people and let us know what you got going on, sir. You got a lot going on. But look, this is more information about your organization, Healing Nine Hearts uh, Ministry, sir. All right. Well, thank you again, uh, Brother Isaiah, for having us on. Listen, I'm, I'm intrigued by what I'm hearing. I'm loving uh, what's being said. What Buddy just said there was uh, very, very right on point. What the doctor said was right on point in so much that people need to know um, that the way things used to work and the way our parents did it and our forefathers did it uh, is not the way that society and the way you're going to make it today. Uh, just real quick, 2020 was a time that uh, the world got turned on its ear. It was a time for people to change their mindset. Uh, it's a time of innovative thinking. Uh, a lot of things came to the surface. Now, uh, in, ref in answering your question directly, what we do, and, and thank you, Chief, for, uh, because that was right on point, but a little bit deeper into what we do, our practice and our way of assisting people is through belief therapy, which goes a little bit deeper than cognitive behavioral therapy. Cognitive behavioral therapy is a therapy that deals with the thoughts, helping people to uh, develop and change destructive thinking uh, and finding out what the disturbing patterns of their thinking is, changing that behavior and changing the em emotions. But what we go a bit deeper because we believe that man is made, uh, a, we are trichotomous in our being. We are spirit, soul, and body. And we believe that we have to go below uh, just the cognitive aspect actually into the spiritual aspect of man and see what is it that you are believing. People do what they do because they believe what they believe. What My belief is what leads to my thought process. My thought process you know, leads to my actions. My actions will eventually lead to my habits. My habits will lead to my character. My character is what will make the traditions that I have and my traditions will lead to my legacy or the lack thereof and the traditions, the things that I teach myself, the things that I tell myself, the things that I believe by, about myself is what turns me to, wow, I can do this. What uh, Buddy just said about becoming, uh, grabbing that niche and, be, and being knowledgeable about that area so that somebody will be willing to pay you for what you know, for your expertise in an area as opposed to being that jack of all trades and a master of none. People are, we are a service 
oriented country now. We don't make a whole lot anymore, but there are services and resources that people are looking for. And if you are knowledgeable, if you can become specialized and have enough knowledge in an area, people will pay you for their knowledge. And that's, that's where we, that's the problem quite often because most of our black, most of our brown, uh, uh, especially those who are in an economic, are uh, economically challenged, they have been led to a point of where, you know, they want the immediate gratification. If I get a dollar, I spend a dollar. Why? Because I need the shoes and I want to dress like they dress. I want to uh, drive like they drive. I want to have the whatever decorative or whatever social media has told me I needed, whatever the commercials have told me I needed, that's where they go. We want you to understand who you are and with or without that stuff, you are important, you have value, and if you can get the knowledge, you can have that stuff and it, uh, you know what? It won't control you. It won't uh, uh, drive you and have you spending, you know, making a dollar, spending 10. So it's, it's a matter of the identity issue that people are dealing with today. People are, there is an identity crisis, not just in uh, the social economically downtrodden, but in America and in the world today, people have a problem with their identity. What we see coming to our office is people of every uh, economic strata, but yet still they don't know who they are. We see on a daily basis, people come in, and, I, and I'll ask the question, simple as this, what's your purpose? And that question by itself has broken people to tears. Grown men have gone to tears just because of their inability to answer the question of what's their purpose and who they are. And so we spend our time helping, helping I'm sorry, helping people to, to understand what their beliefs are. And because a lie is as strong as the truth, if you believe it, we need to identify the lie and change it and help you to understand what the truth is. I'm sorry for interrupting you. No way. That was explosive. You know, listen, when, when a nuclear bomb goes off, <laughs> you, you get out the way. <laughs> You get out the way. But no, I'm going to come back to you. We're going to come back to you because we want to gain more, uh, a better understanding, right, on, okay. on the behavior therapy organization and the way it motivates others. Uh, yeah. So don't go anywhere past the center way. And no, no, that was, you dropped the bomb on us, okay? Uh, okay. I know that's the song, right? That's the song. You dropped the bomb on me, baby. They don't wait past me. That was good. Buddy Thornton, the Puzzle Change Agent Pro, let me come back to you. Based on what you just heard, and, you know, we're, we're talking about, you know, black and brown uh, communities, but, you know, we also have Native American, we have Asian, we have white. But based off of your, I'm going to pull in your choice dynamics. I'm just pulling your choice dynamics. You, you, you're working on a series, you're publishing a series entitled Choice Dynamics. And I think this is a perfect fit. I could be wrong, could be incorrect. But based off of your Choice Dynamics theory, what are some life choices, okay, that parents and educational institutions can work together to bridge these gaps? Right to bridge the needs of students while safeguarding the infrastructure of the educational system 
during and after this pandemic episode? That's my question for you, sir. Well, I do tend to agree with Pastor White. Yeah, you know, this is a global problem, but at the same time, let's focus on the here and now and let's focus on the topic that we really need to focus on, and that is the school problem that we have right now in our face. We we really do have a disconnect, and the disconnect is between uh, the more affluent uh, school systems and the less uh, affluent assist, uh, members of society. And so when you ask me what life choices parents and educational institutions can do to work together to bridge the needs, well, you know, we're all in the same canoe. It's a pretty big canoe, but what we need to do is we need to identify resource deserts. You know, they talk about food deserts when we talk about areas where there's literally square miles where there's no grocery stores and things like that. Well, there's resource deserts out there, too. There's huge areas where kids have absolutely no access to anything other than trudging their way to school so that they can get access to what limited education is provided, sometimes in a fairly poorly funded and poorly supplied school. So we need to identify resource deserts, and we need to create a situation where we recognize that we need to have partner resources and we need to quit looking at, well, we have it, we're not going to share because we, we are going to hoard it. We need to make sure that we have partner resources. And to overcome some of that, yes, there's going to be some infrastructure things happening. That takes time. There's absolutely no reason why right now, since we've already weathered a lot of what we had to do with the pandemic, we've had an infrastructure put together where we can do some proactive hybrid learning. We can put that together even with the kids in the schools. We can provide some hybrid learning in class. We can uh, overload the kids who are behind and we can let the kids who are ahead, the superstars who really don't need our help, we can let them kind of sit in place or at least you know, guide themselves, do a little self-guiding while we catch people up, and we can do the things that we need to do to make sure that everybody is feels like they're in the same boat because a lot of these kids don't feel like they're being listened to and they don't feel like they're in the same boat. And we need to do what I like to call work the dyads. We need to find someone who is willing to listen to somebody, and we need to find someone who just really doesn't feel like they're being listened to, and we need to pair them up. Some students uh, are ideal situations. We got parents. Some parents don't feel like they're being heard, and we got some parents who are willing to help. We need to pair them up. Let's work the dyads. Let's get them together. And based on choice dynamics, we know that we can't emphasize rewarding the the result. We have to reward effort. And as I think everybody on the panel knows, if you get enough effort going, the results are going to come anyways. You're always amazed that the results are there. So why aren't we emphasizing the effort over the rewards? And if we can get everybody on that same page, parents, the institutions, the community all together, these students are going to feel like they're being taken care of. They're going to feel like they're relevant again. That's something that's been missing, not just because of the pandemic, but from before the pandemic. So we have to, again, go back to that thing that I've been harping on for years, We've got to give them a voice at the table. We've got to give them a sense of co-creation. We've got to let them have a voice of how can you help us design a way to teach you 
to bring you into the mainstream, to give you uh, a leg up. And what can what what is your interest? How are we going to guide you instead of lead you? Uh, we want you to lead us because guaranteed, if they're taking us where they want to go, we don't have to do a lot of work. We just have to make sure they stay in their own lane, right? Uh, a, a mantra that one of the parents told me was, you know what, you've energized me. Engaged parents become relevant parents. If they don't feel like the school system's working with them, they disconnect. Parents want to feel like they're relevant too. So you've got students that you're bringing them into the fore. You're making them feel relevant. You've got parents who want to be engaged, so you bring them into the picture. And now all of a sudden you've got parents, students, teachers, administrators all working with the same drummer in the same orchestra, and they're making beautiful music together. To me, teachers are perspective makers. They paint a picture and they expect the students to follow them. What they need to do is they need to flip it around. They need to let the students and the parents all co-create this entire thing and get it moving forward. So you want some life choices? Well, let's get everybody marching to the same drummer. You want the right life choices? I guarantee you, if you let people co-create, they're not going to tell you bad things. They're going to tell you good things, and it's, it's going to work it itself out over time. You just got to make sure the lane markers are in place. Like I said in the beginning, tonight is going to be a night of paradigm shifting. Listen, you guys, you guys are making this happen. You guys are making this doggone thing happen. Buddy, you know, I love talking to you and then you, and you got me motivated when you start talking about music. You knew what you were doing. Okay, and you reminded me of this song we had to play in the Army Band. Yes, I was in the Army Band. I was a band geek too, okay? You know, when you think about the Army, you think about M16s and digging foxholes, uh, you know, that's what I tell all my students, that part. I don't tell them about the music part, right? But, uh, no, there was a song, I was in the jazz band, right? The jazz band. And so we had to do this song called Sandu. Well, this is how it works with jazz. They give you a lead sheet, and they say, go play. You may, if you're lucky, you get a chance to practice it, right? But everyone has to be on the same sheet of music, right? The drummer, the bass player, I was the keyboard player. If there's a good guitar player, right? <clears throat> and so you, you got, you know, you got the quartets. Then if you're lucky, you get a saxophone player coming in. If not, the guitar player has to play the lead or the piano player has to play the lead, the melody, and then we solo, right? But it's this interplay that we had. The interplay is when everybody clicks in and locks in and it's in the pocket. And then it's interplay, and then it's a conversation like we're doing now. This is a conversation. This is interplay. You know, uh, she's saying something, and, and she, she's doing her line. Then Dr. Ortiz, he comes in, does his line, and we compliment one another, right? Pastor White comes in, he gives his line, we compliment, right? Buddy Thornton, he gives his line, we compliment that. And so there's a balance, no one step on anybody's toes because the interplay is so locked in and so tight. We're on the same sheet of music. And this is what I heard you say, Buddy Thornton, the positive social change agent, go tonight. That if we get on the same sheet of music, right, there's no unicorns. Everyone is doing their line, right? And they're coming back after they do their line, right? And they're complimenting, they're setting up the next person to do their line, right? And, and so, you know, 
there are many, unfortunately, psychological problems going on in the world today. But our focus right now is the United States, right? Um, and so we're looking for helpful ways, uh, strategies, right, of solving these psychological challenges or problems because people are suffering. And they're suffering in the mind, right? One reason why they're suffering is because, like Pastor White said, they're afraid to face their fears, right? So when you don't face something, you avoid it. You run from it. It's either fight or flight. But Jordan says it's all the time. Pastor White, I want to pull from you. I want to pull from you, sir. Can I pull from you? What are, what are, could you share with us? I know this is your profession, but what are some of your practices that you are implementing to help um, your, your clients, okay? Um, I would say prepare to be problem to to be problematic solvers uh, internally and externally in their social interactions with other people, right? Could you kind of break down a little bit about uh, what you are doing specifically now and how you can bring those? Uh, well, you already are doing those, but how you can uh, bring those more to like uh, school districts? Uh, for the for the students, for the educators, and and for those parents, uh, those communities, uh, stakeholders, uh, especially now uh, that we have this this pandemic on our hands. That's that's my question. Right. <laughs> so here's the biggest issue that we have, and we once we can get people to face this issue, then we can start to. Uh, find resolve. We can we can reconcile. We can uh, come together, and then we can come to a resolve. Because if we we know that very seldom does anybody get one hundred percent of everything that they want. Right? We have to be willing to work together. I think that's what Buddy was saying. Co-creating that kind of thing. But the biggest problem we have is getting people to accept the truth. Right? The truth of exactly where they are who they are, their potential, uh, backgrounds, about mistakes that they've made, letting go of that, and, and living into what and where we are today. Not allowing uh, another either individual, not allowing the past mistakes that I've made, not allowing the fact that regardless as the color of my skin, where I live right now, uh, the ratio of African-American to non-African and African-American is about, I, we have about 3 to 4% of the population. Um, that, to me, that's irrelevant. To me, that's irrelevant. The things that I've learned, the skills that I've obtained, the blessings that God has given me has allowed me to be where I am. That's no brag. That's that's uh, favor of God as well as hard work. As Buddy was saying, learning, getting education, things like that. That's, that's very important. That's why when she was saying care, coaching, and counseling is the area, is, and it goes, it builds from there. First of all, 
I need you to know, whoever you are, whether it's a student, whether it's a, a parent, whether it's an instructor, I need you to know, first of all, I actually care. I actually care about where you are right now, what you're dealing with. Let's make the relationship start there. Next, let's go to that next level. There might be some coaching, just a little bit of coaching, a little bit of tweaking in certain areas might help you. But again, we've got to come back to the truth. What's going on in your life? What are you fighting? What are you? What did you just say? What are you fearful of? What have you been avoiding? What lie has been told to you that you couldn't do, you couldn't achieve, you don't have a right to go here, uh, you don't have the smarts to do this? Let's overcome those things, and let's let's take a real close look at exactly where you are. What's your potential? Actually, what's your purpose? What's the thing that burdens you that you would do for free? Let's look at that, and then let's move into that area of counseling now. Let's remove some of those hurdles, those mental and spiritual hurdles that you've been dealing with. And we'll do that. We, we deal with uh, the source of destructive, consequent behavior. What the heck does that mean? The source, where did that actual root of that negative belief, that lie that's been holding you hostage, where did that come from? And we sometimes we'll use a life map. Let's go all the way back. Let's go all the way back and let's let's just chunk your life, different areas of your life. And once we put that picture up there, people can see, oh, this is where the problems began. This is where I started to believe the lie about myself that somebody I got divorced several times or my parents left me. We've had people whose parents gave them away and all of those kind of things. And they start to their value system starts to come there so they don't feel like they have the right or they even deserve something good they even deserve the education somewhere somebody needs to come along and help them to understand you excuse me for quoting scripture but my bible says that god has no respect of, of persons in other words i'm just as important and i have just as much of, of an opportunity as the next guy i might have to it might take a little work i might have to go a little harder than the next guy but i can get there if i believe i can it starts with the individual so i have to assist them or we have to assist them in understanding their identity and their potential and then assist them in identifying where do you want to go because a lot of people have no idea of what their purpose is what they want to do I'm just going along like a twig in a stream and where does a twig in a stream go wherever the stream takes it and it ends up who knows where you're more important than a twig in the stream let's get your identity identified let's get your importance identified let's get your purpose identified and now you have some stable truth to stand on and we can go from there and, and the sky's the limit at that point boom that, that was my sound effect for a bomb going off <laughs> boom listen oh my goodness we out of time already alright listen we're out of time let's do takeaways real quick uh, let's see how about buddy why don't you go first she wants you to go next and then Dr. Ortiz wants you to go and then Pastor take us out. All right, we'll do. I think one of the most important things uh, that was brought up was what would you do for free? When I'm trying to help somebody identify a passion, that's the first thing I say is if you were in a universe where everything was taken care of and the only thing you had to worry about was making yourself happy, what would you do for free? 
just release your mind, release your soul, and just come up with what God put you on this good earth to do. You tell me what that is. Somebody can come up with that pretty quickly, usually. And then I say, okay, now, the only thing we have to do is figure out a way how you can do two things. Monetize it, and then figure out a way to ignore anybody who says you shouldn't do that. Be, don't ignore the naysayers because it's your life. God puts you on this world for a purpose. You have a mission. And that mission, number one, is to serve him. And number two is to serve you. So that with me, uh, Pastor White, we're, we're in lockstep there. Let's get past everything else. Let's find the passion. Let's do it. And then let's figure out why we're doing it and do it the right way. Awesome. No, I was going to say, buddy, that is, that is spot on, and I love it. Um, so for me, the takeaways was we, we identified a lot of characteristics, a lot of traits, um, a lot of words, right? You know, we just spoke about afraid and confidence and proud and all those type of words. And so uh, with being a wellness care coach, what really stands out in the takeaways for tonight is understanding your overall well-being, right? Uh, when you're feeling sick, you don't, you don't generally jump out of bed immediately with the most you know, utmost energy, right? It takes some time. And so understanding where that confidence lies, where their fear factor may have crept in, where you may not be so proud of yourself, maybe that is an area of lack of well-being. And with, with who we are and being able to assert different individuals in different positions to understand, again, we're all speaking the same language. And I love the analogies you gave Isaiah earlier about the same tune. It's all about understanding where you are. Once we can identify where you are and or who told you that, which is a great catchphrase that we use, who told you that? Then we can understand exactly where you are. We can do that assessment. We can do that evaluation to understand where's your current overall well-being. Once we understand that and have those results, then we can create and develop the right plan for you in order for you to make the right choices to overcome that fear to look for breaking any generational curses you know for you to um always know that you can right i know that dr ortiz mentioned that earlier you know so that's my biggest takeaway understanding your overall well-being understanding maybe you're not moving in the area in which you should maybe you don't even know where to start because you're sick maybe you're not feeling well and that's not necessarily from a physical perspective, but that could be from an emotional perspective, right? That could be from a sociological perspective, psychological perspective. Once that's understood and, and or identified, you can move forward. I'll continue a little bit. I think the biggest takeaway that I heard today was asking a really direct and simple question like what is your purpose means a lot and, and compacts a lot from everybody individually right and, and coupled with that is just the fact that we are in this major kind of identity crisis as I heard our panelists share right we, we're, we're all trying to uh, do too much with too little and we're all trying to go too fast with not enough tools right so uh, those two things I think really resonated with me in today's talk thank you everybody And I guess it's, it's up to me to sort of uh, fill it up. And uh, again, I love um, this. This needs to be uh, two hours. 
I said, we're just skimming the, uh, the tip of the iceberg. But there's so much in the way of the importance of the collaborative collaboration so much in the way of training our people and getting them to understand to me the biggest thing is getting them to understand that we live in a totally different uh, social dynamic now things have changed whereas for so many years uh, prior to uh, the, the the last couple of decades uh, your voice with Welch, you didn't have a voice. Now you have a voice. Now take that voice and and take that opportunity. Things are different. You can do more than we ever did. I think it was Doc that was talking about. Um, you know, there were the traditional jobs before. Now there's so many other areas that we can be successful in if we'll only believe that we can do this. We don't have to be tied to uh, the 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 menial skilled works and the low paying jobs yeah that might be where we have to start but that is not where we have to finish and we all have the opportunity vocation does not always equal purpose that's one thing that no other takeaway vocation does not always equal purpose quite often vocation simply uh finances my path to my purpose but i have to be willing to work first I have to be willing to learn first. Then I can move into that, that area of specialty, which is my purpose, my calling, and I can make a difference for myself, my legacy, and for generations to come. Listen, I'm so proud of all y'all. This was amazing. This is another fascinating fascinating leadership. This is the season finale. It's a wrap. Uh, we'll see you next season, season five. Tonight's talents were Wade Thornton, Positive Change Agent Pro, Pastor Sergey White, Chief Smith, and Dr. Arguless A. Ortiz. Good night.